the ninth day of Christmas, Moose brings to me Dr. Wolfenstein himself, Greg Gibbs, as they discuss 20 years of House of 1000 Corpses. Welcome, horror hounds, to another installment of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. Today's gift, we're celebrating an anniversary, but more on that in a little bit. Today's guest is a production designer, an actor, and is best known for being the ghost host with the most from a house of a thousand corpses. Please welcome Dr. Wolfenstein himself, Mr. Greg Gibbs. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so, How you doing? easy question off the top. How's life? Life is great. Life is good. Life is good. I uh, was at uh, Spooky Empire convention in uh, Orlando and signing autographs. And uh, I was dre- dressed as Wolfenstein for the whole thing and uh, celebrating this year's 20th anniversary of the release of the film. And uh, I don't really do uh, conventions or, you know, appearances much. Uh, it's a very rare occasion, but I figured since it was the 20th anniversary, I would do it. And also because there's sort of a secret project uh, related to House of Thousand Corpses that's about to come out uh, that wasn't ready. That wasn't ready uh, for my uh, for the Spooky Empire, and you know, which is the Halloween weekend. So uh, I'm doing good. Life is great. I'm having a great time. So, for those who don't know, what does a production designer do? Like, it, it's just such well, a blanket statement. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, it's a great uh, title because it's really about uh, the whole design look and, uh, you know, if it's extensive, it should get into the look and feel of the film uh, to make it cohesive. And um, we run the art department, so we're responsible for, you know, all the sets and props. Uh, We also sort of oversee the property department just sort of a separate department, but uh, is integrated into the art department. And for House of Thousand Corpses, uh, I was very hands-on. Some production designers just uh, work out of an office and show up on set. And, uh, you know, it, so it varies as far as the um, involvement of a production designer, how close they are working with the director, uh, if they're more inclined to be, you know, and are, you have no architecture or art more, or they're more inclined to know um, uh, special effects, special effects, later, uh, heavy film, or um, it just all depends. But in my role on House of Courses, the production designer was I, I designed everything you see. I mean, everything. It was very hands on. It was very. Um, I worked with Rob. I was the first person on the film uh, to start the film and worked with him in the beginning before anybody else came on and, uh, and, you know, tried to realize his vision for the most part and also to, uh, you know, um, uh, collaborate, uh, with ideas that I had about how the film would, um, look and, uh, and with house thousand corpses, it has a very, very distinctive look mm-hmm. to me. Uh, you know, it incorporates a lot of 
things that we were trying to tap into, which is sort of subculture, uh, Americana, um, sideshow, circus, uh, uh, freak, uh, um, monsters, uh, dark rides, uh, uh, monster museums, uh, uh, oddities, curiosities, um, you know, the list kind of grows and grows. Well, yeah, um, I mean, it's got a lot of, like, iconic scenery between like sideshow tourist traps in uh, like Spalding's uh, little museum. That, that is definitely yeah, a roadside yeah. tourist trap. Yeah. You, know, you can find those yeah, all over was, the place. Yeah. Yeah. The museum was like, it was a real set. It was a real sideshow uh, or side uh, uh, attraction uh, museum. Uh, it, it was fully decorated 360 and had every item in it was really uh an, an actual oddity or curiosity um, and incorporated lots of different collections inspired lots by lots of different collections, you know, from the Mütter museum to uh, the artist, Joe Coleman's auditorium. Uh, and uh, um, uh, so that was a great set to work on. I mean, that was just, you know, the thing of the film is, is very uh, Rob is um, very art friendly and uh, really supports, really gets into the art department. Uh, so he, everything had to have a look and always, you know, had to be uh, rich in its in its look and design. Um, so tried to, you know, work in that direction with the film. Well, and it, it I, I think that helps everything stand out because every shooting location, every set piece is memorable and that doesn't necessarily happen on all films like you take right. the firefly camp compound every yeah. every you can remember like just a straight walk through of that compound and you can remember every scene of that place oh great yeah 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 i mean there's a lot of folk art in there that we uh we uh, incorporated uh, that was made specifically for the film you know i hired uh before early in pre-production, I hired some artists to work out of a warehouse and they produced, uh, fabricated, um, all the Halloween decorations in the house, all the folk art outside, the sculptures, the, um, oh, the list goes on the paintings in the museum. Uh, we just made everything, uh, specifically for the film, uh, out of scratch, which is never done and probably will never be done again because, uh, you know, of what we got away with. Um, but yeah, I, I like that, that it, it does stand out. Um, the firefly house and the museum and, and I, you know, we tried to do that with every set was really to try and make it really unique and different than what you'd usually see, which we couldn't rent and we couldn't, you know, find, we had to make it ourselves. Well, and then like you go down to like Dr. Satan's lab, Right, you know that you felt like you were in hell, and great, <laughs> it, it you know it, it, you just had I mean between the lighting and the set and everything it just it had this you were just instantly transported into this hellish place, and it wasn't just oh here's this sadistic guy doing experiments on people, no it was an experience of hell and torture, and it just it was so well done 
Well, thanks. I mean, that set was even a lot bigger than you could see uh, than what they shot. You know, uh, it was a really big catacomb set that we did as uh, one of the last things that we did. Um, and one of my favorite things is when you walk, she finally comes in and there's just these guys like hanging out, you know, like they're in the waiting room or something. And, and uh, I just, and there, we wanted, we picked, we cast these really, you know, freaky looking guys um, and kind of just threw them on top of sofas that were stacked and TVs and, and a lot of crap. I mean, the, the thing with the sets is there's always a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, layers and layers of stuff. Um, and that's because we had full reign of Universal Studios uh, property department. Uh, we made a blanket deal with them instead of running, you know, little pieces here. And you know, usually in films, you go to lots of different prop houses. There used to be a lot of prop houses in LA. There's very few. There's a lot fewer now. But uh, used to go to prop houses and find, you know, particular things you need. You need a, a phone from 1972. You need, you know, and um, we, we did. We made a deal since we are Universal Picture. We are Universal Studios Picture. We made a deal with the property department, and they're like, "Okay, you can do get, you can rent whatever you want, and um, we'll just do a blanket price, which is which is a great deal." Uh, little did they know that we would use everything <laughs> to get our hands <laughs> hands on in the property department. I mean, we we scavenged like <laughs> we would just take stuff and stack it in the corner, and we would just rent, you know because we just run in there and take stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was that kind of a, a crazy uh, enterprise. And so the film, you know, was filmed over the course of a whole year uh, at Universal Studios. And so I started with Rob in like late January of 2000. And we were shooting Dr. Satan. I built that set in October of that year. So I worked that whole we, I mean, I worked all the way to the end of the year and then we were dropped by Universal and we sh continued to shoot at my art studio where I paint. I still paint today. Uh, we shot some crucial stuff uh, and uh, it was, it was just an amazing experience. You know, most movies just don't operate like that. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really insane. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of great stories about the film, you know, I'm, I'm sure you are aware of it was drop by universal and um you know there's a great story about that and uh could you imagine if universal had uh, kept it uh yeah well they brought it back they keep bringing it back for halloween horror nights uh, their halloween extravaganza they do they actually it's been brought back like three or four times they've recreated the, a maze based on the film um but if it was a film yeah i mean it should have been uh it's uh, it's a little odd what happened to it is uh, very political. Um, the Lieberman Commission in the Senate was going on, and they were coming after Hollywood for promoting films to kids, R-rated movies to kids, something like that. Lieberman Commission, it was called. And uh, Universal basically had us, which they didn't even pay attention to for a whole year. It wasn't until the end of the year they finally said, you know, we better look at what you guys been doing. And then they watched it and they, I was with Rob with the, at the screening in the Alfred Hitchcock room in the special screening theater at Universal Studios, the head of Universal were sitting in front of us. And at the end of the screening, they, she just turned to us and said, we'll never release this. Um, but it was their way of 
sort of giving a sacrificial lamb to the uh, Lieberman Commission and politically being, yeah, politically being able to say, oh, we we would never put out this kind of stuff when, you know, they, uh, you know, there was greenlit. We shot on their, we, it was a Universal Studios movie, you know, but they kind of used it to say we have morals and we would never, you know, release this stuff. And meanwhile, they they could release Hannibal with because uh, it had Anthony Hopkins in it and. Uh, you know, he, the, he eats a guy's brain out of his head, right? And that, you know, there's lots more worse stuff in Hannibal than there is in House of Thousand Corpses. But we, were, we didn't cost them much money, you know. Um, so uh, so they, they dropped it, and then we kept making the film. We just kept working on it. It was really amazing. I mean, me and Rob, basically. Uh, we had no crew. Um, we would bring a... Sit in and you did the, the opening commercial we shot in my art studio while we watched uh, the Super Bowl. You know, it was a <laughs> anyway. Um, but that's what it was. It was a it was a really chaotic wild ride. It was, it was a really fun job. You know, it's just it, it's interesting to think that in an alternate universe that you know the Lieberman con- Commission never happened. Universal stuck to its guns, released House of a Thousand Corpses, and now Captain Spaulding, Dr. Satan, Dr. Wolfenstein, and some of the others are the new crop of Universal monsters. Right. Well, that was the, that was the intention. You know, that's, uh, uh, you know, Rob's a real historical buff uh, when it comes to horror, and Universal monsters to him is the, the you know, the peak of Absolutely. the great... Uh, yeah, horror uh, history, uh, and that was the intention. He was actually doing he was doing the soundtracks to the Universal Pictures. He just put out Frankenstein, so he's putting out this package, you know, uh, that included all the music in the film. And he was going to do Frankenstein and Werewolf and Dracula and uh, and Creature from Black Lagoon, and was working on all the artwork for it because he gets really into the packaging and you know all Rob's stuff is really it's all him and. He, he's got such a great design taste and uh, he just, you know, he knows what he wants to do and, and he's got his touch, his zombie touch. Um, so we, he had just started doing that with them and was, and was working with Universal and that fell through. And then we were going to do the Munsters after House of Thousand Corpses. In fact, the house is around the corner from the Munsters house and it's just below the Psycho house. Uh, on the Universal Studios lot, it's still there. Uh, and uh, we we were actually trying to talk and plan about doing the Munsters, but then they dropped House, and you know Rob really didn't know if he had a career anymore in the in the film world. You know he already had a music career, um, but uh, so um, and then he eventually did Munsters twenty years later. As I say, yeah, you know he's yeah. yeah. Trying to knock out, he was planning monsters twenty years ago, and he finally got to pull it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like that. I mean, what happened is, I mean, the, the full story of House of Thousand Corpses is just because people always ask, like, how did it come about? And uh, I worked with him on uh, music videos for every song on his first album. So it was um, he was going solo, and um, he just wanted to do a, a, he, he's almost more interested in being a film director than he is being a musician, being a, a, a rock star, 
uh, a big rock star. And uh, so that was always sort of his thing was, you know, to direct and uh, make horror movies. Um, so we did music videos. And so he would get m money for, and for instance, Living Dead Girl we did, and uh, which I did all the sets for that. And those are uh, replicas of, uh, the silent film of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, and, uh, so just to tap into his horror history. Uh, and so we got the money for that. And that was one of my early jobs with him. First job basically where it was, we were really building sets and making things. And he would take that money and we would make three other videos with it. So I would build those sets. And then across from those sets, I had sets for, um, two other songs on the album, Phantom Stranger. And then, uh, um, so he was always about that, about like stretching a dollar and kind of playing, you know, the typical way of, of budgeting and making things because each, each dollar that's spent on his music videos comes out of his pocket. It comes out of his sales of his CD. So, um, so he's very, uh, very aware of that. Very smart about that. Very you know, uh, aware of the finances of showbiz and where you can really stretch a dollar and make the most out of it. Anyway, we did music videos for every one of his songs. And then Universal wanted to build a maze based on his first album uh, for that coming October for Halloween Horror Nights. And uh, they used my designs for all the music videos. You know, they kind of make it their, themselves, but I helped with that a little bit. And after that, it was, oh, at the Halloween Horror Nights, it was the most popular attraction. Uh, it had the longest line and it was just, and it was the best uh, attraction that, that season. So at the end of it, um, and also he was given an award. Bill Mosley was, was giving, was the MC for an award ceremony where they gave an award to Rob and Bill gave it to him. And while we were making the music videos, Rob was always talking about this movie idea he had. Uh, he didn't know anything about it or what it was or what it was about, but he just had a title. And the title was House of a Thousand Corpses. And we used to joke about it and talk about it like, what if this happened and then this? And what if there's a house of this? And what if it was based on Texas Chainsaw? And, um, and then when Bill, when he met Bill Mosley, gave him an award, he was, I remember the talk was sort of like, well, what if I build a character around Bill Mosley, Chop Top? Uh, and, uh, and then I love Spider-Baby, and that guy in Spider-Baby, uh, what if I built a character around him? And, uh, and so we would joke about it, and actually one of the videos we did, I wore this skin mask um, that I made, uh, this really freaky skin mask with this wig, this like clown weird wig. And I did a piece, um, for sometimes I mix these up, but I think it was Phantom Stranger Redux or it was, it was a, a version of Phantom Stranger, I think, or it was Spook Show Baby Redux. Anyway, uh, I basically improvised for the whole song as a doctor on a operating table with a dummy, uh, corpse. And it was just one of those things, you know, that Rob would say, Hey, you're Greg, you're going to do it. You know, you're just going to, we're going to do some doctor here building a set. And, you know, within a couple of days, I had to build a doctor's room, you know, and, and we would operate like that. That's how he liked that kind of spontaneous, uh, creativity, you know, that would come with it. 
And I basically improvised with everybody laughing, uh, you know, in, in behind the camera, um, this uh, music video, this whole uh, crazy, um, I just jumped around and went crazy. Anyway, you can see it in the opening title sequence of House of Thousand Corpses. And that's the original Dr. Satan. And we called him Dr. Satan, and it was kind of a joke on the set, uh, Dr. Satan, ah, you know. So that kind of worked its way into House of Thousand Corpses um, and became a plot point. Um, I mean, there's lots of stories I could tell about that. Anyway, uh, since he was so popular with this maze at Halloween Horror Nights, uh, Rob had been talking about this film and mentioned it to uh, Executive Universal, and they said, come in and pitch it. So I remember the day he went, had to go in and pitch it and he didn't really know what the movie was. He just had the title, <laughs> such a cool title. Let's just make a movie and you know, whatever happens. So he pitched it and made up the story of the fireflies. And I think he even made up some of the names. Uh, you know, he just, he took names from, uh, Groucho Marx, uh, you know, Captain Spaulding and Ravelli and, uh, cause he's a, he loves Marx brothers movies. And, uh, he kind of pitched this thing on the fly. Well, the, the Blair witch project had just happened, uh, the year before, and it made so much money. It was such a, a shock to the Hollywood system. You know, this thing made for $20,000 took in like 200,000, 200 million. I'm sorry, 200 million. And so Universal wanted to tap into that, and they saw, okay, here's this rock star. He's new. He's got a, he's, you know, a solo rock career. He wants to direct a horror movie. Uh, he went in and pitched it. They kind of liked the pitch. He wrote his script. The script wasn't even spell-checked. It was, it was grammatically you know, difficult to read. Uh, he, I don't think they ever read that, but it came down to him telling them, look, give me a million bucks and leave me alone. And I'll give you a cult film. It'll be a cult film and it'll have legs and it'll, it'll have its own life of its own. And it'll be in the spirit of seventies horror films because at that time it was all eighties or not eighties, nineties kid, you know, uh, teenager movies, uh, you know, and there was all remakes. There was no real original horror films everything was remaked and there was nothing fresh going on i say it was all and, remakes and scream-esque and scream-esque films yeah i know what you did last night you know stuff like that and you know real good-looking kids being you know splashed with blood so he wanted to do different something different to that and he said you know a million bucks leave me alone and i'll make it and he's then he started piecing together we would get together and uh you know, come up with ideas and things. I mean, there's so many different aspects to the film that just, you know, I think of the, how the, the origin story, it's just, it was just so much, you know, on the fly and just kind of inspired, you know? Um, but as we went along, it started to grow and soon the budget was 3 million. And then, cause we had Karen black in the film and, you know, and, uh, we needed a little bit more time cause we wanted to do, we wanted to make a real dark ride. You know, we didn't want to, you know, we wanted them to go on the dark ride. We weren't just going to talk about it. You know, we're now we're going to show the dark ride. So we need money to build that. And it kind of grew like that. You know, the, I, it was me and Robin, the first cinematographer who was, we, we went through about four cinematographers but the first cinematographer and we were, all, it was just the three of us, the beginning. And then 
so it started to grow. And then we shoot, and we uh, by the time we were shooting, the the budget was five million. And then and then uh, we shot. We didn't we didn't have an ending to the film. We shot all we shot for a whole month, and that, that was the end of the schedule. And we ran out of money, so we go back to Universal Studios. And we say, okay, well, now it's, it's $7 million. Let's make it $7 million. And anyway, it kept going up. And it, it, eventually, the film probably cost around 13, between 13 and $15 million, um, which it made back eventually in the opening day. Um, but so it kind of grew like that. And then it, it took the whole year. And we're on the back lot with the trams going by. And... Um, and the sets became more and more elaborate because Rob wanted to do something bigger and he wanted to do something, you know, with, by the time we got to Dr. Satan's, one of the, my fun stories I love to tell is we, Rob wanted to do this catacomb for Dr. Satan. Dr. Satan was never in the film. Uh, she just never finds him or something. Or oh, basically, um, basically Jerry gets eaten by the zombies. And that was all, that was the, her first ending. Um, uh, so then we decided, okay, she's got to go to Dr. Satan's lair. So well, let's make a lair, but let's make it like massive and make it like, uh, you know, way over the top with skulls everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's like Indiana Jones, you know, on acid or something. And so, uh, I got a call from the producer and said, we have to go meet with Ron Meyer, who's the head of universal. I mean, not just universal production, but the head of universal studios, the whole operation. And apparently he had gotten wind of this crazy movie that's been going on for almost a year. And uh, he said, we have to meet with him because we need more money. We want to build, Rob wants to build this catacomb thing. It's going to be 30 feet high. And I, I done a design of it and it was, it was massive. And I made this little model, scale model, which I did for most of the sets. So that we kind of, you know, was part of the process of making the sets. And he said, bring your model with you. And we went into Ron Meyer's office, this big office on a lot, um, a couple of secretaries and big wide room. And, and you know, we, while we were waiting, we give anything, you know, like a basic, anyway, we <laughs> go into Ron Meyer's office and he's on the phone and he's all pissed off because they're always pissed off in Hollywood about something. And he eventually hangs up. We just sit there and he hangs up the phone and he looks at us and he goes, who are you? What are you doing here? And we said, oh, we're with um, the, the Rob Zombie movie. Rob Zombie. Oh, yeah, Rob's. Oh, yeah, what's going on? What, what is that? And, and basically the producer went down the line about what we've been up to, what we've been doing. And here's Greg, and he's the production designer, and he has a model of a set that we want to build. And, you know, we just we need to up the budget. And the guy looks at my model, and he's, like, looking at it and looking at it like he could care less, really. Like this is we're complete, uh, you know, interruption in his day of really important movies. And he says, why do you need a staircase? And I said, well, uh, there's this character, the professor, and he comes down the stairs. It's in the script. And he looks at me and he says, get the fuck out of here. And we just get up and leave. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and the next day we got the money. And then we continued <laughs> <laughs> we continued on and I, you know, I wish it was that easy in real life. <laughs> yeah. We, I, you know, created the biggest set of them in film. <laughs> uh, and it was like that, you know, it was like, it was crazy. And then they finally say, you know, what do you guys been up? Well, you got to watch this. And they watched it and it was, 
it was so far out there for them, you know, for your typical Hollywood executive, you know, there's no happy ending. The bad people win. Uh, the kids are, they're not even kids they are like in their late twenties. Everything's, you know, and how do they market it? The marketing woman, I remember the screen, the marketing head of marketing, uh, ran out of the theater. I don't think she finished watching it and threw up and threw up. (laughs) I swear to God. And so that was a version though. That's not the final version because the film kept, it kept, um, matriculating or whatever it, it kept ma- ma- um, uh, uh, it, it, it kept changing um, and once Universal dropped it uh, it was picked up by MGM and they started cutting it in a different way and then I don't know if, you know the famous story Rob was on MTV and said that MGM is only releasing the movie because they have no morals and the head of MGM saw that and dropped it the next day. So then it was an orphan again. And another year and a half or so went by. Went by uh, and, and Robert would literally shoot stuff in his basement. Some of the, the home movie stuff was just shot in his basement. They would, like, you know, say to Bill, uh, Bill Mosley, you know, come over for lunch. We're going to shoot some stuff in the basement. <laughs> It'd be that casual, you know. Um, so the, the picture, you know, morphed and changed. And, uh, the original picture that Universal saw was a little different and maybe was, uh, more shocking, uh, in one sense, but then Rob ended up adding more other shocking stuff to it and cutting it, almost cutting it like a music video. I mean, it really is cut really fast and 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 jumps around and inserts and yeah it's he developed his own style you know just because he kept tinkering with it and it would it would it would would, uh, become something else so uh yeah the the um the the changes in the film the way the film the evolution of the film is just very complex in that there's a lot of stuff that's not in it. The original story was that the kids are making a documentary about roadside attractions uh, on their trip, like down uh, Route 66, and they're filming, and we go to all these different attractions, and one of them was Captain Spaulding, and then they were going to go on to something else, and they, you know, they eventually end up at the house. It was always about the house, um, but that was kind of put to, put to the side and cut out. A lot of stuff was cut out, so uh, it's uh, amazing. You know, when I watched, I went to the theater, it was just re-released, and watched it again, and it's just, it's such an odd thing to watch, because it's, I don't know, it's like watching a sculpture that keeps changing, or that's changed (laughs) from what it was before, you know? It's something that has an evolutional process to it. It became its own living organism. Yes, it is. It is. There's no other film that looks like it, or in my mind, uh, or that has that kind of energy to it, and uh, and is so unafraid to be like completely. How do I put it? Aesthetically disgusting in a beautiful way. I don't know if that makes well. And <laughs> it, you know, Rob said it in his pitch. It's going to be a cult movie, and it's going to have legs. We're talking about this movie 20 years later. 
and it right. is still gaining new fans. It's it's yeah. I, I did an interview with the guy in Ireland, and he says, "Yeah, it gets bigger and bigger." Um, but when we're making it, I used to say to everybody working on it, "This is going to be a cult classic." This is going to be a cult classic. Nothing else looks like this. And everyone, while we were working on, it, like you know, the executives, you know, other people, producers, and different department heads would be able to roll their eyes, just be like, they they had no. When you're making a movie, you really don't know how it's going to come out. You know, there's a lot of, and there's a lot of legendary stories of people who worked on films, and they just everything goes right, everything's perfect, everything's on, it, it just everything goes, and the movie sucks. And then other stories, of course, you know, legendary stories of movies that um, just somehow work by happenstance. They just somehow they come together and they. It, it becomes a classic, you know, Casablanca, you know, they were, they had no script at the end. They didn't know how it was going to end. They just improvised that with Henry Bo Humphrey Bogart, you know, saying that line. And yet it's the most, you know, endemic, most, uh, classic movie scene in history, movie history. Oh, absolutely. And house yeah. ultimately became the movie, you know, the, the big movie that could, I mean, it kept hitting all these obstacles Yeah, and yeah, but yeah. it still got made. It still got made well. And to his vision, Rob didn't have to compromise his vision for the movie just to get this movie made. And right. You know, I think that is a testament to not only his commitment to the movie, but to what this movie started as and ended as it has that cult feeling throughout the whole thing. So this movie knew even without the, you know, it, it wasn't entirely sure what it was at the beginning. This movie knew what it was. It just, yeah. it just didn't know how to express itself. That's a good way of putting it. Sure. Yeah. 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 He always, uh, you know, Rob always said he really was not trying to do camp. Um, but, uh, to me, it has a, 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 a great element of that, of, you know, uh, and which makes it a cult classic. I think it a cult classic. You need that some kind of campy kind of like offbeat. I say uh, it, it has a little you know, camp, but it's not enough to be a campy movie. Yeah. It really, yeah. It's not camp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing that it's 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 had legs uh, and, and two sequels and um, just to meeting the fans um, as Wolfenstein. Um, a, a couple conventions I did. Uh, it's, it's it's you know there there are fanatics uh, out there that are just love the film. They just love everything about it. One guy had my face tattooed on his ankle. He showed me. He came up to me at the convention in, in Florida, and he was, he was like, I didn't know you were going to be here. You're, you're on my ankle. I said, huh? And he pulled up his pants, and there was my mug taking up his whole ankle. It was almost the size of my head. Well, and that, that's uh, insane because, I mean, yeah. you figure this is a role that wasn't going to happen. Well, right. at least not for right. you anyway. And That's right. It, it It's really fitting that you got it considering – you were the first person with Rob when this movie started. And yeah. then you became the first person that viewers see when the movie starts. 
Right, right. So it kind of right. came full circle for you. Yeah, yeah, it really did. Uh, uh, originally, it wasn't the opening of the film. Um, and also, um, so I didn't know that it was going to be placed there. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of meant to be in a, in, in a way, uh, just the way we were collaborating and working. We had done all the music videos and, uh, and then, you know, starting at the beginning of the film, uh, just being so hands on on it when he did, he decided on the spot not to play Wolfenstein. Rob was going to play Wolfenstein and it was going to be a cameo. And, uh, he, for some reason he sort of decided, I don't like the idea of cameos anymore. And, uh, and he just turned to me and said, have Greg do it. And, you know, next thing I was in the makeup chair and five minutes later I was on set doing the lines. Um, it was the first thing we shot and it was the first time that the crew had been assembled. So it was shot first so that it could play on playback on the TVs in the house. Uh, well, Wolfenstein was actually throughout the whole film and, uh, you would, you'd always sort of just be on the TV. It's Wolfenstein, you know? And, uh, so we had to shoot that first and it was the first time the whole crew had been together. And I built this beautiful little horror host set and Rob was going to play the role. And, uh, we waited for him to come out in costume and we waited and we waited and we waited and probably three hours we waited after, after they was, you know, the, it was scheduled and it was the only thing we shot that day. And he finally came out and just on the spur of the moment, just said, I'm, I don't want to do this. Um, have this, have Mark, our nutty, uh, production designer do it. Um, so it was, you know, it was, it was great. It was great to do it, but it came out the way it did. Um, I, uh, I, I love being in the film at the same time as designing the whole film and the look of the film and, uh, being able to introduce the film, you know, is you're right. It's, it's kind of a fortuitous. Well, and now I, I know you have, uh, other things that you need to get done today. So before we wrap this up, where can listeners uh, keep up to date with things you have coming out and look for information on that secret project? Ah, right, right. So, uh, yeah, I'm just not sure if I'm supposed to mention. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. Oh, yeah, don't get in trouble on my behalf. Um, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but there is something coming out that Rob's, Rob has been working on. And... Um, and as far as my own stuff, I, I still have some things left over from the, my convention appearances, and they will soon be uh, available on eBay. So keep an eye out on eBay. Um, I have uh, I have the only photo of Rob in the film. So after Rob uh, decided not to play Wolfenstein, he later showed up after lunch as my hunchback assistant. And we went on to shoot more, uh, lots of stuff that day. We shot, we spent a whole day shooting Wolfenstein and yet there's just a little part that's in the film as far as, you know, and I, I come back again, but, um, it was fun when I was, there were scenes where I was on in the house and, uh, the way it was kind of, look, it would look like I was almost commenting on what was going on and the kids were getting more, deeper and deeper into trouble. Um, but, uh, Anyway, you know that's how how it goes with uh, with films is um, some things you know have to be trimmed. Um, 
But anyway, I have the only photo of Rob in as the hunchback of, uh, as my Igor, my assistant, and me. And that's a great photo that I sign that would be available on eBay. And I have some other items that I, I made. I made some, uh, some special little edition stuff, you know, because I'm, you know, an artist and uh, sculpt and cast stuff. So I have some limited edition stuff that I'm going to start to make available on eBay after I finished with the conventions house of a thousand props <laughs> uh on ebay and that's coming in a couple weeks before the end of the year and uh look out for some really cool stuff including some wolfenstein uh collectibles that i made and um also a couple of replicas of um important props from the film Ooh, yeah yeah i after i uh after it came out i i ended up selling uh some really cool stuff from the film props like from the museum and uh, all kinds of different stuff um, on eBay. And then didn't, didn't sell stuff for a long time. Um, so I come, I, uh, uh, you know, occasionally appear and, uh, and promote the film. Um, but uh, for the 20th anniversary, I thought it was important to, you know, really celebrate uh, its legacy. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, look for that. And what else to look for? Um, my Instagram page, uh, I kind of, uh, I haven't posted much since Halloween cause I got involved with another project, but, um, I'm on, uh, Instagram too is Dr. Um, underline Wolfenstein. And, um, and then I got some other projects uh, in the works, um, uh, that I've been trying to finish one of it, which is, a documentary called The Haunted Painting, uh, with music provided by Ministry, who was just on on tour with Rob. Yeah, Al uh, Al has Uncle Al has uh, contributed two original cuts for the film, and uh, it's uh, and then some other Ministry uh, classics. So I'm still working on that, trying to get that to, together. But uh, um, I should promote that and. Uh, yeah, they they went. They had a great tour this past summer for the Freak Sun Parade, um, Ministry and Rob. Uh, what else? Anything else that you wanted to well, talk I, about? Uh, definitely oh. sure. I'm uh, looking forward to that documentary. Yeah, the, the haunted painting. It's about the uh, the the haunted painting. If you look up the haunted painting on Google, uh, that's the painting called the hands resist him and it's a painting where two kids in were in the painting come out of the painting at night and uh, it's a legendary story that i tracked down all of the uh players in the story it's it's sort of i, I sort of called the first urban myth of the web uh, urban legend of the web because uh, it originated on ebay this is also known as the ebay haunted painting and uh it's a great story and i'm trying to uh trying to put the final final completion together you know the um the pandemic kind of interrupted production and uh so that kind of put things on hiatus for a little bit uh and then i got some other things in the works so uh check out my instagram follow the instagram i'll be posting stuff on that and um and uh and uh, the fans are fantastic. I, I met a lot of fans uh, just recently, and it was really great. 
they really uh, there's a lot of big fans for the film. It, it it's definitely a a growing fan base. Great, <laughs> amazing. Well, I'll be back uh, at conventions another ten years, so we'll celebrate the thirtieth. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I haven't been on conventions for ten years. I did the tenth anniversary, and now we did the twentieth. And uh, and there's a new release coming out that'll that'll really uh, that'll be really special uh, for all the Thousand Corpses fans. So keep an eye out for that. Awesome. And yeah, listeners, I will put all those links in the episode description. And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com. Or if you just want to follow me, head over to Facebook, Twitter, and now YouTube at Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. Greg, this has been phenomenal. Well, great moose. And I would love to have you back on in a few months to hear more of your stories because I feel like we just barely scratched the surface. Oh uh, yeah, I, there, it's extensive. There's a lot of uh, real fun history to it. Um, and like I said, I'm definitely looking forward to this documentary when it comes out. Oh, thanks so much. Great, great. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll definitely keep up to date on that too. And can't thank you enough for coming on. And until next time, horror hounds, mash on. <laughs>